is the Sounding Board Podcast with Hachi and Damo. Thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Good to have your company on the sounding board for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to drink wise. Both of us are remote today. You, Craig Hutchison, more remote than myself. I'm still in Melbourne. You appear to be in the North Sydney studios of uh, SEN. Good afternoon to you. Hello, Damo. Yes, I've been here since after Footy Classified last week, and obviously with things uh, deteriorating a little bit in Melbourne, it uh, prolonged my stay here a little bit longer. So I'm week on, week off here in normal times, but uh, just staying a little bit a little bit longer and uh, get back at some stage during the week. And thoughts are with everyone in Melbourne. It's been and remains a very much a, a knife's edge in terms of getting under control, doesn't it? And the language from the acting premier today wasn't entirely comforting. So uh, an ongoing challenge. And I guess it's a, you know, in, in a sports sense, which is irrelevant again, but it's fortunate that we've played 11 weeks. So we're getting, we've got half the season done. Still does feed that argument a little bit of that we should have got away a little bit earlier in the first place. But I understand the difficulties and the short break and the players and whatnot. Another story for another day. How's your week been, Damo? You, just on that, you, you were big on that at the start of the year, that uh, we should be playing football in, in as early as February, I think it was, that you were first mooting it for, for reasons that have become obvious in the past uh, yeah week and a half or so. And um, just with regards to what happens next, Hachi, uh, my intel for this stuff comes from the people I speak to in, uh, in football land, and there's no one who thinks that the lockdown in Melbourne is going to be lifted when it was um, initially said to be done. So that being seven days after last Thursday. There's, there's not one person I've spoken to in the past, uh, yeah, 72 hours who thinks that's the, the case. And, and you're right, the, the language and narrative. And we're, we're talking today, uh, late Monday afternoon um, of the press conference in Melbourne today. There was no reason to think that it uh, would be lifted, was there? And sport, obviously, is incidental in this as we you know think of everyone in aged care. There's the, I think there's been two cases, which is too, too many. And that's where our thought goes. Uh, on the sport front, my head hasn't got to some of the knock-on effects, but I guess it's starting to... Melbourne United is one that springs to mind. We've got a final series coming up where we will either be the one or two seed, depending on how the last two games go, and had anticipated playing in front of our fans in Melbourne. Let's hope that can happen. Still a long way to go until that, that time, and the NBL have done a magnificent job of pivoting through the season and finding a way. But, yeah, Melbourne... It's just Melbourne again, Damo. It's, it's, it's very... Um, draining at times being a Melbourne resident at the moment given the we've just only just got our mojo back after what happened yeah, last year. Yeah, it is. Um, someone told me, Hutchie, and, and this is why it's always important to put the actual said uh, statement to the person in question, that being you on this occasion, that, that you managed to beat the deadline to get out of Melbourne by about uh, two minutes. Um, did, did you run that close to the gauntlet on, on getting out? No, I was out Tuesday in enough time and I always had no idea then that it would get uh, and deteriorate the way it has, so was it was a scheduled Sydney week for me anyway, but uh, yeah, no, yeah, it's a, it's a no good situation for anybody and uh, regional Victoria, and let's hope it doesn't spread far and wide. But until we get everyone vaccinated, what the only tiny, 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 small comfort for people is that it's got everyone off their backsides to go and get vaccinated. It's about time that we, as a community, got moving. Been pretty average, and mm-hmm. they've opened up the laws a little bit, which is good. So, but yeah, very um, 
Very frustrating day, mate. Yeah, there's a lot of people who, who were going to get vaccinated and, and could have got vaccinated long before last Friday when they yep. seemed to finally, um, yeah, get, go, and, go and do that. So uh, I don't want to get too political about that, though, Hutchie. We do like to talk about the narrative and spin. So what did you think about the Labor Party in Victoria whacking the feds yesterday? Did you watch that? Uh, yeah, I did. But I'm just over this, this, this group of politicians, Hutchie, both at federally and, and state level. And that, that will prove, hopefully, to you that I, I am a swinging voter. Um, I, I cannot cop the state government down here which is labor and i cannot cop the federal government up there which is which is liberal so i'm just over them i'm, I'm totally over them um, neither of them have got any great grasp of what they're doing on any front and, and obviously when this government down here gets exposed yet again for for what what it actually went through last year and we we now see what uh, is unfolding now Hachi, but we're already getting too well, I, I was just interested in the, let it go last year my interest went into the narrative i thought it came from a south australian hotel it's They've mentioned it casually a couple of times, but you can't really launch it, the South Australian government, even though they've shut the border on us. Uh, so what do you do and how do you shift a little bit of blame and or... And so the the attack on the feds was more vicious than I thought it would be. Like, it, they went them yesterday. This is the despite that I read the response today that the feds have put $35 billion, I reckon, I read into Victorian economic activity or something like that. I didn't quite consume the numbers properly, but... Clearly, they're annoyed that Josh meddled in the politics of Victoria last year, the the deputy leader, and it was a chance to go back. And it's unsightly to see that. Like, we really got to be in the solutions business. And unfortunately, we're in the who, who's to blame business. Yeah, and that's what, what always happens, Hutchie. We, we revert to type. We, we discussed this a few times, didn't we, from a sporting perspective, that, I mean, it was only two weeks ago that Damien Hardwick was was soaking it up about playing a game of football three kilometres away from his hometown, his, his home ground, ground, the MCG, and uh, he didn't want to play at Marvel Stadium. He was soaking it up at about a, a free kick count in a game of footy, and then here we are this week. Um, he's got a real problem, and, and he's entitled to soak it up. But uh, it just goes to show that we... We do revert to Ty Pachi. Um, a game at Marvel in front of fans would be a dream right now, wouldn't it? Things can change. In <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> means he wouldn't be on the road. Hey, you, uh, regardless with the story last week uh, pertaining to uh, a, pl- a game of um, pick-out basketball with Adam Sandler some years ago, you promised a, a story this week involving Cameron Diaz and Justin Timberlake. I will hold you to that. I won't get you to do it right now, but get your uh, get your head around telling that story, Hutchie. I hope it does follow up the uh, the success and the, the well-received, Adam I'm Sandler not sure story. it was a success, the Adam Sandler story, was it? I'm not sure it was. <laughs> well, I've heard you tell it uh, 15 times, and each each time you tell it, it's slightly different to the previous telling. I don't know. I don't even know if you actually met him at all, Hutchie. You know, I've got no idea whether you've actually ever come across Cameron Diaz and Justin Timberlake in a supermarket, which I know you'll tell our listeners about in a few moments' time. But anyway, you, you are a good storyteller, Hutchie, and I still listen and like every version of the stories you tell. Tell me, I, I feel the biggest sports story or if we could just get away from the, the carnage of COVID-19 again, was the decision by Naomi Osaka to stand herself down from yep. post-tennis match at the French Open press conferences. She used the, the mental well-being space to, to provide a reasoning for it, that there was a lack of cons- uh, care, care and concern in her eyes for some of the questions that come her way post-match. Um, she knew she was going to be fined for that happening. As we speak, she was fined overnight, didn't appear after the first round of the French Open. It's about a $20,000 Australian dollar fine that she's going to cop. And if she goes all the way through to the final, Hutchie, you can do the maths on that. That's seven games at that rate, and it might even be more. But um, what did you make of it? I've got some views. I'd rather get yours first. First of all, they didn't seem to believe her reason, right? That's The first thing would be care for the individual. So 
I think the first thing they would have to do is understand why and how how true that is and how how much that she might be suffering in the in the in the circumstances because if that is the case and you have to have empathy and care for the individual and I think respect the decision right clearly they didn't seem to believe it because or their investigation they weren't uh, convinced of it because she was fined almost $20,000 after they didn't kind of looked into it so that to me says they didn't believe the defense which is a little concerning and I mean the, the truth will be somewhere right like if Naomi uh, is struggling from a mental health concern, paramount you have to believe that first until proven otherwise, I think, rather than the other way around, you know, prove to us that that's the case. And so it, it it did speak a little bit to doubt from the WTA. I think if uh, they were even remotely, unless they had proof otherwise, they should have accepted it and moved on, I think. Now, I did see on social the counter-argument to that, and a few people sent their tweets to us. People, We had one tweet from a member of the public saying he had depression and he was sick of um, people mm. using it as a crutch to, in his mind, get away from uh, being accountable for their actions. Uh, and that disrespected people who were really struggling like him. So, yeah, the, very complicated. Damo, what did you think? Yeah, look, I'm not doubting her, her claims relating to the mental health component to it, but but what I will say as a pure observing point of view, Hachi, um, she's a media hater. She hates media. She doesn't like being out of that uh, that controlled zone that she can find herself in with her own staged managed media appearances and, and other forms of, of media that she can do. And let's even bring it back into an AFL perspective of, of people who hate media. The person I mentioned a few moments ago, Damien Hardwick, hates media. Alastair Clarkson, the most successful coach in the well- – the, the, the most modern of the eras we talk about hates media. We've got a you know footballer in, in Dusty Martin, one of the greats of all time, hates media. Um, Naomi Osaka is not any different to any of this. She just hates media and, and well, doesn't want to be subjected to it. Yeah, that, but that's part be- of it. And I, I thought Rafa Nadal, um, I thought he handled it really carefully, cleverly, and, and very aptly when he had his response to what she did and just said, look – the media actually allows us to do what we do. Um, the, the media has actually provided us the platform to become the people we've become and, and as such have become very wealthy on, on the back of. So I, I don't know how you can't handle a few questions. I mean, you, you've sat through those press conferences, Hutchie, after the Aussie Open. I know you covered a few Aussie Opens, yeah, as but- I did many, many years ago. They're, they're pretty inane sorts of experiences, I would have thought, for the athletes concerned. I- You're not getting anything you can't handle as a seasoned media performer there. I believe in everyone being available all of the time, and that's my starting position on these things. But I do think mental health trumps that comfortably. So I'd have been inclined to believe the individual. So, look, okay, we accept you on that. Uh, we want to put some measures in place and work with you so you'll be ready for Wimbledon to talk. And let's go about working on those things together because it is part of your job to speak to the media. It's a contracted part of your role. And we accept that there's a period here where you don't feel comfortable doing it for reasons. So what are the measures we can put in place together to make you feel more comfortable? And let's let's give you a tournament's grace, I guess, or leeway based upon your understanding of who can we talk to in your team to work through... I think they need to do something like that. I'm not disbelieving of the of the mental health component to, to what Naomi Osaka is saying, but I'm happy to say this, though. Tennis players, and, and, and Djokovic is the, the worst at this, do, do they actually lose sight of, of of what they once were? Do they lose sight of what actually got them to, to being the, the status that they've got? And do they actually also realise that their own sport, their own sport is is actually 
far away from what it once was in terms of being a, a must-watch event in yep. the eyes of just the neutral sports slot followers. We're also aware that we're living in COVID. That, that sport itself handled itself disgracefully in COVID. I mean, we had team sports being played during COVID, and yet tennis couldn't get its act together well enough to, to have any form of events when all you needed is two people. You didn't even need ball people or, or umpires to hold, hold a tennis match when it's all said and done. So I reckon they've just lost complete touch with, with reality when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Like they're, They've got some serious issues as a sport. Um, but just to go back, back a little bit, then I'll answer that one. So you say some people hate the media. No one likes the media. It's not something anyone enjoys doing. How could you enjoy doing it? There's more downside to upside. Uh, like it's it's a serious challenge for modern day media figures to overcome because of the scrutiny they're under, and it is part of their job. They do need to present in a way that makes them marketable to their partners. And so that it's if there was no money attached, no one's going to go and do it willingly. My, I would think most more more people dislike it than like it. So I don't think that's a abnormal position. Uh, on this particular one, tennis has got some serious issues. Tennis relies upon. A, attendance, uh, I mean, broadcast is still the biggest lever, but attendance is a thing, you know, attracting people to multiple cities, uh, and B, travelling across borders freely. And as the, mm. it, it's the most get-on-a-plane sport I can think of. You might think of others. You know, even things like golf and pretty much the US, US Tour or the European Tour are in, are in a little region. Mm. Tennis is fully global. Four Grand, grand Slams yeah. a year, four areas of the world. I don't think anyone's going to want to quarantine again. I can't imagine anyone's going through in January what they did last year. Year two of the Australian Open feels far more problematic than year one. And revenues are going to dry up because prize money and attendance is going to be seriously challenged. And fundamentally, it's a selfish individual sport where people are not used to having to make collaborative concessions or decisions. All that in in the cook pot, leaving aside the vaccine success of early days of England and US, I think there's some real real problems for tennis in the next 12 or 18 months. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree. I, I think they've long lost touch with, with reality, and that's okay too. I mean, that, that's what happens. People do, and, 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 I, and I get that. But when you have an event that, that, that is, is somehow being scheduled and, and held as we, as we speak, that, that being the French Open, and you've got one of the, the biggest names in the sport a, across men's and women's tennis refusing to speak to media. For, for whatever reasons, Hachi, it's just yet another another chapter in that sport's demise. Tell me, I saw today in the Sydney Morning Herald on the front page headline, News Corp closes in on Foxbet launch deal with gambling guru trip. Byline Patrick Hatch and Zoe Samios. Rupert Murdoch's News Corp Australia is in advanced talks with a consortium backed by high-profile bookmaker Matthew Tripp to launch a new wagering outfit that would reshape both the local industry and the battle for Tabcorp's betting division. It's a pretty big story, this. Yeah, I don't think it's entirely news story. Like, I think that's been reasonably well-known around circles for a while, hasn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong, that that uh, Foxbet looks likely to launch in Australia and they are one of the bidders for for Tabcorp, hasn't it? Is it, is it for the is it for the totalizator arm of Tabcorp, Hutchie, yeah. or is it for the entire operation? Yeah, I think what I read was what I kind of knew or had learnt, and that is that they are one of the bidders for the – or potential bidders for the breakup of the Tabcorp licences. So the way the – uh, lottery business would remain behind or they'd do something different with that and the breakup is of the wagering business. They are clearly open for business. They're going to be really hard to beat. This is a formidable group uh, driven by Lachlan, you know, led by Matt Tripp, who's well-respected. Uh, the Intain offer also 
led by Dean Shannon, is very respected and credible and globally backed. So you've got two kind of, you know, really big players who are making really big bids and uh, very well credentialed businesses. And then Apollo, I don't know much about the third uh, bidder, although I think it'd be too hard for them to win. So it probably comes down to two. Either way, I think one of them wins, if I were, if I were to offer an opinion. Uh, I think there'll be a deal done with one of the two. It's got to go through a regulatory, regulatory framework, but you've got Lachlan, Rupert, News News Corp, you know, presumably Foxtel, Fox Sports, part of the model, Sky Channel. It's, fairly, it's a lot of moving pieces. And Trip, and inevitably Grant Griffiths, I assume, who's been his longtime partner and you know, very um, intelligent at putting a big deal together. And then, of course, the recent uh, technology play that Matt's made, which has been mm. uh, a great success as well. He's hugely respected. I think the Murdoch family have always had a long regard for Matt Tripp. And so I reckon they'll be in the mix. But the Intain bid, um, led by uh, Dean Shannon and, and, and Carl and others, I, I think um, is equally and equally well-funded from a global business. And they are, um, you know, got a lot of momentum as a business themselves and a fantastic business. So, yeah, it probably comes down to two. Um, who knows? So a media a media company, and it's, but let's face it, it's, it's the biggest one in the world, has been for, for, for some time moving into fully, fully, the gambling space. Where's that fit in to its operations? Well, they're in the gambling space now, News. They've got, uh, haven't they? Punters.com and Racenet.com. They're two sort of big media businesses yeah. in their own right, albeit digital media businesses. This is a far bigger play, obviously. And I guess their view probably is the worlds of sport and media and wagering have been coming together for quite some time. We're already in this space. There's an opportunity. It's actually a media business and a tech business, really, first and second. The uh, potential uh, Tabcore move, it comes with the distribution of the media arm, which is a big part of it. You know, they've probably had advertisers funding their assets to make them money and vice versa, where they've been well fed by the advertisers, don't get me wrong. So they're probably looking at it going, this is a way to sort of cut out the middleman and go for it ourselves with a credible operator and an intelligent um, team and a, and a business distribution. Uh I suspect Vlandis is a key chip in all of this, and I don't know, but I think right. whichever way, he, I think he's got a, well, I think it's on the public record that he has a um, a, a chip in this that he can play, and I'm not right. sure if he is or isn't, but he does. Um, and so where he leans... Hang on, hang on, hang on. He, he, he holds positions of authority in, in obviously rugby league when it comes to being the chairman yep. of, of that commission or that board, and he obviously runs racing in New South Wales. So what ship is it you're referring to there, Hutchie? Well, I don't I don't know, but I, I assume his deal with Tabcor would have uh, would allow for the possibility of a change of ownership and his you know, ability to be part of that conversation. I'd only assume at that level that that is the case and be guessing that that's something that he would have some skin in the game on. So I, I can't imagine that Tabcor would change hands without Peter Vellani influencing where it goes or being part of that outcome one way or another. Wow. Can you? With, They're so um, close, right? So Where would that fit in with, with certain News Limited um, editorial policies that, that bemoan the, the focus and the addiction of, of gambling in the lives of many people? And they've run campaigns on it, Hutchie. They've actually yeah, run campaigns I, I, on the, uh, the, the, the woes and the evils of, of gambling. So I understand your cynicism here, but I think, and I know I'm going to sound like I'm defending news again and you're going to give me a hard time for it, but I, w- I would say this. Even though they've had significant commercial 
interests in areas like this. They haven't shunned away from editorial independence in the past. Ever. Oh, you might please, just... Hutchie. Please, please. No, they've done stories. Conflicted and compromised as any done many... of, of us as well. We're, we're compromised. I'm compromised. My organisations are compromised. Don't don't try and paint them as the angels in any form of coverage, please. I'm not. It's different to painting someone as an angel to defending the fact that they remained editorially independent. Not, not oh. in. Not... Let me finish. <laughs> they, they, the front of the paper has done stories about advertisers that have caused angst to the sales team for many, many years. This, this category is no exception. It will make it a little bit more challenging to uh, navigate, no question, if the size of this deal goes through and the fact that it's been you know, personally driven from the top. But I, I have faith, Damo, I know you don't, that the editorial team will still hold the, to account like they do with other businesses. Like we've seen that with... Actually, what, what, look, you know my views on this, Hutchie, on, on most things. If, if it's not illegal, go for it. Go, go your hardest, because that, that ultimately has to be how we all judge ourselves. If it's not illegal, yep. go for it. But but don't get all moralistic and, and editorial on, on certain topics when it suits you, when, when you then introduce that very topic to your own operations and, and, and watch them back away from those campaigns but it's as a result. Of this deal, if it does go through, you've got a catch-all policy on this. It's different. You say, "Don't get editorial like it's." They all get together in a room and they all decide something. There are people with differing views who write columns for them. There are people that view things one way, and there are people that view things another. Just because someone stands on a soapbox and is against an issue, doesn't mean it's a Herald Sun's issue. That, like, I would be sure there'd be some people in the business right now looking at. Michael Warner's coverage going, oh, it's probably not in, in step with where we need to go as a strategic agenda, but they're letting it play because it's good journalism and, and, and it's going. Um, they've done stories negatively on Coles and Bunnings in the past, which would be tens of millions of dollars of advertisers into, into news. So I, I don't have that same view as you. I don't think it's a catch-all. There might be some people who are positive, some are negative. There might be the odd curveball they've got to work through. But I have a, a little bit of faith that they manage that conflict editorially a little bit different to commercially. I think it's probably... You know, one, you know, areas like Foxtel will be harder to probably um, to work through because that's more of a kind of family-led product and, you know, how does that look? Is it its own channel? Where does it sit? And so there'll be some things to figure out. I don't know any of the detail. I don't even know if they're going to mm. win. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, dismiss or doubt the Intain business because of the strength of the operators involved and the global funding yeah. of that business. And yeah. Yep. Um, let's move it on. You, you, you personally, and and by extension, your company is a is an owner of a basketball team in Melbourne United in the NBL. Yep. Uh, your good mate Andrew Bogut, uh, as of today officially, has confirmed what I think uh, you knew and a lot of other people seem to know that he too was a shareholder slash owner of the Sydney Kings. Yes, he's. Uh, I read that today that his ten percent share had been approved after. It was reported about a month ago that they were, he was unsure that he wanted to do it and they could get through the logistics. So I did see that. And the game, I think, on Saturday night will honour him in Sydney, uh, as I've mentioned before. And he's been a, a great servant and contributor to Australian basketball, Damo. So nice to see him acknowledged on Saturday night. You, you, you really get as uneasy talking about him as you do Dylan Howard, Hutchie. I actually raise it as a, as a business Topic here from Andrew Bargat. I reckon it's a great idea. I mean, his name is 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 synonymous with basketball, even to people who don't follow sport, let alone basketball. I reckon it's a great idea. I reckon I'm all for it for what it's worth. It's a, one a of great of the the Australian basketball game pumping money, his own money, supposed. I'm assuming anyway, back into the into the team he played for for a couple of years. 
Absolutely. He's been great for Australian basketball. I think he's one of 12 ex-NBA players now who have equity in teams in the Australian league. I think it speaks to the strength of NBL ownership in Australia and club ownership and you know how the sport's growing and how the group of owners are helping it grow. And I guess uh, that'll be a weird first uh, owners meeting day. I want to sit across the table, table from him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even thought of that. <laughs> might, have to break, might have to get you there to break the ice, but uh, I'll have to take some Krispy Kremes with me for the owners meeting. But uh, no, well done, Andrew, on his, on his uh, stake. And, and Paul Smith, the owner of the Sydney Kings, uh, would have been work, working very hard at that. So well done to Paul. Yep. We saw a couple of years ago, Hachi. I think it was, I think it was two years ago. Now, when uh, when players in the NBA, um, they're not afraid to, to voice opinion on on anything except except for China, Hachi. They they ventured into that space. An official at a, a particular basketball outfit ventured into the having an opinion on on some of the uh, human rights issues in China, and and all hell broke loose from an NBA perspective. Billions, and I'm not exaggerating that number, billions of dollars were removed from business arrangements between China and NBA operations. And I raise that, Hachi, because now we've got a, um, a former wrestling star, also movie star, and John Cena profusely apologising for, for making a mistake, uh, referring to Taiwan as a country in the promotion of his latest movie, that being one of the uh, Fast and Furious franchise, franchise movies. So, the, the world, the, the Hollywood world, the wrestling world, the NBA world is scared of saying anything that might be received poorly by, uh, by China. Well, is it, is it fear or is it just risk versus reward? Like I would, I would put it in the risk versus reward category. Like it doesn't matter what your view is of China or Taiwan. There is little upside in sharing it publicly if you are a well-known figure because you don't – there's no – you don't get rewarded for sharing it, and you get you cop the brunt of it. It's even worse when you say when you make a just an honest mistake, as John did here. So his quote, this is what he said. Uh, he was doing an interview, and he mightn't have been well briefed enough. He was interviewing interviewed by a Taiwanese broadcaster, so clearly he hasn't been briefed well by the PR team. First thing the PR team should have said was now avoid mentioning any status of Taiwan and what it is in this interview because yeah. it will cause ramifications for us. So he said. You know, Taiwan's the first country that can watch F9, uh, Fast and Furious 9. Now, that was just a fairly innocent way of saying Taiwan's the first place you can watch it. He wasn't yeah. adding his view that it's a country or otherwise. He was just saying it's the first place yeah. in the world you can watch it. When, when could, you read that, Hachi, did you, did, can you immediately pick up on what the problem is? Because I'm going to put my hand up here and be honest and say I, I, I didn't know what the problem was. I had to delve deeper into this article to, to work out what he had, had done wrong. Now, you, I've also admitted in the past, my, my knowledge of history is very ordinary. My knowledge of geography is even more ordinary. So I, I don't, I didn't understand that. I have since learnt, though, that Hachi, that Beijing claims Taiwan as part of its territory. Yeah, it's a I've sovereign territory. It's a, a claim of a sovereign territory. He had one word to avoid in that interview, and that was country. Country. One yeah. word. And he clearly wasn't briefed. I suspect what happened was he was rolling through 50 10 minute interviews at a time. You know, just, you know how they do them. They line them up like, uh, what do they call them when you do a million of those interviews in a row for 10 minutes a at a time? Call he, or you, yeah, it's you not, get a little, not quite the right term, is it? 10 minute window and he would have gone okay now the Germans are up next and now here's Austria and then there's Taiwan he wouldn't have even been thinking about anything and and the PR team needed to be red hot on that and I think he had probably no choice As embar- it was embarrassing for him to have to apologise on Weibo because he knew that the people would be mocking that around the world uh, he looked like an apologist and 
But I, I think he did the right thing, right? It, it was better than leave it unaddressed. And then mm. it, obviously he committed to he committed to a positive view and love and respect on China, which he probably didn't want to have to do because then that calls into account as he overlooking the human rights issues. And, yeah. But I, has, me, has LeBron just, James offered an opinion on China since that? No. Blob and why? And, and, ago, why and why would you? Like I know that there'll be people listening that say, "Oh, it's not." It's, but that's fear dinner party conversation. Or if you think you can actually meaningfully do something about it, it's not just to share. You know, I don't think the risk and reward stacks up publicly on it. Do you? No, I, I don't. But I think you know my views on on the um, the type of activity some athletes and particularly movie stars don't get me started on Hollywood movie stars who who think that their voice carries through all yeah. the um, all the red tape when it comes to changing society it, it doesn't they've just got an opinion on things and they think they can uh, they can do the hashtag sort of uh, style of, of, of media to change things where when they they don't really have any great knowledge nor control over what uh, what no. can so or, I, or can't happen so I think for movie stars they've got themselves to blame because they well not the, all, all of them but those that are very public about their political views and social stance. They, they can live and die by that sword. That's the choice they've made along the way. And if it goes against them, sometimes it goes against them because that's the, the life they choose to live. Sports people fundamentally just want to play sport, don't they? They don't necessarily yeah. want to get caught. It, it, it's okay if you're forced to make a decision on whether to play there or not. Then you can make a stand based upon your own values. But when you're asking you know, you, where your movie's being distributed, as if you've got any choice in that. I, I felt for John a little bit on that. <laughs> Yeah, Hutchie, we, we've uh, we, we, we've we've amused ourselves as much as probably anyone this year about the um, the staff writers byline. When you know, when when journalists and and even proprietors of media companies ask journalists to to write an article that that's clearly going to be slanted a certain way, and no one wants to put their name to it, but the story gets published and it's by staff writers, and it comes in various forms. Sometimes staff writers is just a combination of other things, but we've got a few of our listeners now onto this, and and a couple of them during the week uh, picked up on a, a few different versions of it. Um, one in particular here by uh, one of our listeners, Matt Scully, by picked up. We've heard of staff writers, but I've found a new one: digital staff. <laughs> yeah. The, the Collingwood president Hutchie. Now he's a he's a well-known liquidator and has been for uh, in the public eye for twenty years. He he got a byline in the uh, in a little paper during the week as well under under the um, under the letter that he obviously wanted wanted distributed to to his own members. But it was actually byline Mark Corder, Collingwood president, News Corp um, Australia Sports Newsroom. Yep, he wrote a first-person piece. I'll, I'll come back to Mark Corder in a moment. Digital staff writers is a whole new world. So what that does is the newsroom go, oh, don't, we never want newsroom against this. Can't blame the digital staff. They're the reckless kids and 25-year-old with jeans on who just don't have any care for the business. So it just creates this whole impression that a whole bunch of young kind of renegades wrote it other than the newsroom itself. So you've created even the – I wonder where the staff writers got together. What's going on here? Knock, knock. Oh, it's a meeting of staff writers. What do you mean staff writers? Oh, we're the byline that you see from time to time. There's a whole group of us. Oh, I didn't know you guys existed. Um, what are you meeting about? Oh, we're going to go to HR. What's happened? Oh, the digital staff down the end. Oh, we want their name on some of these things. They're causing carnage. What do you mean? There's another room of digital stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put their byline on it. Don't write staff writers on that byline. Write digital stuff. <laughs> And then there's a whole bunch of kids with their feet up on the desk down there. They're only coming at 10 o'clock in the morning morning. and leave at 2. So, yeah, so staff riders is the thing. This is what I think we do, Damo. I'm I'm calling for this as a bit of a mid-year stunt. I'm going to take nominations. We're going to have our own quills, you and I. 
<laughs> sounding board's having its own quills. It'll be called the Boardies for the sounding board. <laughs> the Boardies. So the, the Boardies is no, born. No, the Soundies. The Soundies. Oh, the Soundies is better, yeah. That's better. The, the, the Soundies. Soundies. The Soundies is much better. So we're going to have a mid-year yeah. Soundies. Uh, we want your well, nominations. Like, like Newsletter does with the news awards, we're having the Soundies. Well, they've got the Astra Awards for Foxdale where they win, you know, every – Foxdale won every award and the news have got their own awards <laughs> where they win everything. Um <laughs> Yeah, well done to me. I won the I won the best Melbourne-based uh, funeral writer for the News Limited. So we're going to have the Soundies, and we want your nominations out there for categories that we can include in the Soundies. We're going to not over the next month. We're going to unveil categories that we're going to have in the oh, Soundies, and then we'll take nominations for winners of those categories as well as categories. Um, one of the one of the categories I want to nominate for the Soundies is. Best use of a byline to distance yourself from the story, and we'll have <laughs> yeah, nominations yeah. for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we want the Gone Rogue on Twitter award. Uh, it'll be one we want to have where someone couldn't resist. And yeah. and and I reckon the other the other soundies. Just to give you an example of the soundies, we want the Square Up award for the best <laughs> use of the newspaper Square Up. I'll give you an example of an of a nomination for the Square Up. Yeah. Uh, nine's weakest link hosted by Magda Zabanski, watched by only 423,000 viewers last week by Sophie Ellsworth in the Australian. Now, this is probably nothing to do with Sophie, so please forgive the, the use of the byline. In fact, it would be nothing to do with Sophie. But the way this was presented from a headline point of view was a very fair column. But the headline and the way it was distributed on digital was clearly because Magda had been critical of the paper and they thought, oh, here's a chance. We better we better give this a, a, a good run. You know, watch, you know, st- Poor ratings. You know, headline was very uh, negative. Where I think the story was fair from Sophie. So uh, the square up, that's one nomination for the square up. So categories for the Soundies, I think we'll do this, what, first week of July, Damo? We'll give it four weeks to build. Yeah. Hashtag the Soundies if you've got some nominations, and we, will, we might even have a little event. We might even have it at Crown with Nick McKenzie in attendance just so we can get reacquainted one more time. When lockdown comes out, we might invite Winks. We might have it in the lobby so they've got to walk past him when they come in. What do you reckon? I'm really joking about that. If, if he's not still in court himself, Hutchie, he might be available for our little uh, little awards night. But the sound um, is on. Hutchie, let's get to question of the week time. On the Soundy Board, it's our question of the week for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to drink, choose to Drinkwise. There's a couple of options here, Hutchie, as we always uh, get from uh, Jane on the question of the week. But the one that is standing out and, and, and jumping off the page to me, it says uh, Hutchie to read. So if you can locate that on your yep. running Scott sheet. Scott Seymour via Facebook. With many journalists working across a number of media companies, how is it determined where to break a story? Oh, that's a good question. For example, let's say we have a journalist at work for AFL Media, Triple M, and also did a podcast produced by SEN. The confirmation of a huge story our intrepid journalist has been waiting for comes through whilst producing the SEN podcast. Does the journal, A, break the story of the podcast, giving SEN a scoop that they can use on their various platforms, B, finish the podcast and then get on to the story, hoping it doesn't break elsewhere in the meantime, for example, the Herald Sun, or C, stop producing the podcast, contact their other outlets to break the story <laughs> and then return to the podcast? That's one of the great questions. <laughs> Who's he referring to, do you reckon, Scott? Oh, he's referring to everyone's favourite evicted uh, Middle Park resident and uh, who's got a next door, problematic next-door neighbour. 
Oh, look, if indeed that is a specific reference to to one of us here, Hachi, um, I think everyone who who works with, uh, who, who I work for, knows the order of priority for, for what I do, Hachi. So it would be an AFL media, but it would just depend also too on on how big it was, wouldn't it? I mean, there are times you you do break just because of Scott, the I'll, timings I'll, I'll on it, certain news on other platforms. I'll answer it, Scott. You just follow the money funnel. The, <laughs> the highest payers. Go first, yeah. the second highest payers go second, and that us back here at the at the sounding board, home of the soundies, we go we go last on any. We're probably a week out of date on that. Uh, one of the one of the appeals, it's, Scott. I'll answer it's this. A big that Damo, Scott raises. One of the appeals Damo had to go to AFL.com, Scott. I can tell you this personally was it was a now platform, and he probably spent many years in at the footy show where it was a wait platform. So I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's a go now afl.com situation. Yeah, and look to to, to Scott's point, you, you do have to um, have a pretty clear line of sight on on what it is you're doing. But it, it is it is a good question, Scott. Um, and and I'm not saying I've never been um, in a situation, and others uh, others would have as well, obviously, been in a situation where sometimes you just got to drop it wherever you are. But um, if if it's a story you can can spend time on and work on, it will go to the main job, so to speak. And I and I can vouch for that um, on any on any front. Just one more question here, Archie, because it does. Uh, allow me to pat you on the back via Mark Macca. Hachi, do you feel vindicated because you pushed for the AFL fixture to start early to take advantage of the COVID-free situation in February? No, I don't. And I understand the challenges that went uh, against it and why it couldn't happen. It just it was an in-theory thought at the time for me that an early start would have been preferable. But still wouldn't have stopped. We'd still be at around 16 or 17, wouldn't we, rather than around 11. So it's not, not yep. a major difference. We have still got a few moments for you to uh, regale us, as you did last week with an Adam Sandler story, with uh, one that you've also got uh, fine-tuned over the, the journey involving Cameron Diaz and Justin Timberlake. Not a very good story, this, but I, I promised to do gratuitous name-dropping for a series of, series of weeks to get us through the lockdown. So here's another one that doesn't go anywhere. I like and, it. I like right. it. Right. First experience with Justin Timberlake didn't go so well. Uh, in Sundance Film Festival, Motorola Party, about 2008 or nine. There was only 100 people in the room. He ended up getting uh, offended by someone who tried to take a photo of him, and he reacted, and I was the nearest on the scene and tried to break it up. And I think he thought I was involved in some way and gave me a stern sort of look and dressing down as I tried to get everyone to calm their calm their farm. So that was my first experience with JT at the uh, Motorola party. Didn't go so well. It used to start midnight on Saturday nights, and it was one we look forward to every year back in our younger, sillier days. Fast forward, Damo. I moved to New York. It's about 2000, oh, it's late 2000s again. Moved to New York. I'm in the queue at the Whole Foods supermarket. Not a place you'd see me every day, Damo, in a supermarket. <laughs> There's 60 aisles in the Whole Foods in New York. Those who have been to Columbus Circle know it sits underneath as one of the most famous supermarkets in uh, Manhattan. And I'm in the queue, minding my own business. There's a massive rung of cookie tins on special, so like biscuits, stacked up like a pyramid, must be about three metres high. I remember looking at it vacantly thinking, oh, gee, I, I wonder if uh, that'll come down at some stage. I looked in front of me. There was two people in hats. Justin Timberlake and Cameron Diaz are in the supermarket in the queue, aisle 37 in front of me. All of a sudden, without a word of a lie, the, the biscuit tin gets wobbly and it <laughs> crashes like a pyramid. At the feet of Cameron Diaz, Justin Timberlake, and myself standing behind. I'm the only one on the line that's recognised them because they're in uh, caps, like uh, Piggy Blinders caps. And everyone's looked awkwardly at the 200 tins on the ground, as as if who's going to do something. I've thought, 
I'm going in to do the right Samaritan thing, and I go down to pick up a biscuit tin, and Cameron Diaz does the same. And I find myself on more fours with Cameron Diaz picking up biscuit tins, Damo. And it's an awkward moment, and I say, you know, everyone's going to think we did this now. And she starts laughing and says the words, Jedi minds. I was just thinking the same thing. At which point, we banter, collecting the biscuit tins, while JT... Where is Justin? He just stands there and scorns the situation he finds himself in, until help comes. Help comes, and then finally, these other people come in, and they, they start to take over. And then I've got another five minutes in the queue with them, having broken the ice on this biscuit tin situation. So chat for five minutes through the aisle. Cameron engaged, chatting away, just a nice person, as you'd expect. Justin does not want a bar of me, scowling. Uh, how quick can I get out of here? I've just had biscuit tins fall at my feet. Now my girlfriend's talking to a guy in the queue. You've got to get out of here. Um, so get to the get to the cash register. There's a magazine with a photo on the... And I make a joke. I get a laugh from... Hey, you're not good at small talk, Cutsy. I'm just trying to amuse myself at this point. I get a laugh from her. I get half a laugh from him. And then... She says, oh, we should sit down for lunch. And he gives her one look and says, no, nah, we're off. He wanted no oh, part, no part of I sitting see, down there. Yeah, yeah, listen, as far as your stories go, I was believing this one until you said that Cameron Diaz said, let's no, go for lunch. No, no. She said to him, let's sit down and eat because there's a little booth there. She wasn't inviting me to lunch. She was saying to him, but oh, okay. he, he okay. was broken by the biscuit tin uh, situation. Okay. So that was the end of the penny section. And off they went and uh, – I didn't see him again until after the Super Bowl when I was in the same next next booth to him on Super Bowl Sunday in uh, was it uh, Minnesota? So that were my three JT uh, experiences. Damo, all very, very was there uh, a recollection from him upon meeting you the first time on on no, meetings number two and three? No, surprisingly, in a country of three hundred and thirty million people, he had overlooked the I- fact that we'd <laughs> met once before when I was a little bit uh, um, more felt, and then. I was part of the biscuit tin, great biscuit tin fall. In, uh... Biscuit tin. <laughs> well, Haji, I reckon we will we'll, well, uh, hold I you to I, uh, you coming across a celebrity story what for I... each, each episode during lockdown in Victoria. So, I... so next week I'm going to schedule and table on your behalf your Jamie Foxx story. Uh, okay. As I look back on the, on the great biscuit tin fall of the late 2000s, I do wonder, like Cameron did the Samaritan thing and was uh, nice to everyone around her. I, I wonder why Justin didn't at least acknowledge the said tins. And I always wonder why he didn't say, oh, is there anything I can do? Because pretty much it, they could not have fallen at his feet or my feet any more than they did. In fact, he was on the side, the left side of the famous tin fall. Tin fall. Cameron was on the right side, which was the furthest side away from the tins falling. Yep. So if anyone had the need to pick the said tins up, in my mind it was Justin. And I've never really been able to get past that in his music. And you've obviously replayed this moment many times, Hutchie, when you put your head on the pillow at night sometimes. No, I haven't. I just, on occasion when you bring it up, I, I recall the, the great biscuit tin fall. Okay. All right. I, well, went, Fox, to, I went to the uh, same Whole Food supermarket with my partner Claire when we were there in uh, two years ago. And I said, oh, this is where the biscuit tin situation fell. And she, she laughed about as little as you did too. Didn't find it very funny either, but uh, it, it happened. <laughs> No, I like, it. Moral, I like it. But, yeah. There's a moral on the story. You've got to be careful stacking your tins in public places. Here's another stat for you. It happened within two weeks of the Adam Sandler story from memory. 
I was on a run. <laughs> All right. Well, you've introduced the Soundies to our uh, to our lives now too. Hachi, we'll work on that in, in coming weeks. Uh, that was the episode of The Sounding Board. It is into Series 6, Episode 18 for DrinkWise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to DrinkWise. Thanks for listening to The Sounding Board Podcast with Hachi and Damo. Tune in for questions tomorrow and to send a question to the boys, email thesoundingboard at sen.com.au, follow the show on Twitter at Sounding Board EP and like the Facebook page. It's all thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Drinkwise.